Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. All right, everybody, we want to take a second to talk to you about an amazing sponsor. We have an amazing relationship with RayAllen.com. Ray Allen is a one-stop shop for everything dog, not just working dogs. Everything dog that you need, you can go down there, check them out, RayAllen.com. Awesome people. They got everything you need. Another one of our favorite partnerships is with a dog trip. They've been with us from the start. Uh, great callers, great ball poppers, great GPS tracking, big dog, small dog, bark collars, everything. I got everything like that they have at the kennel. We use it every day. Be sure to head them up, dogtra.com. Listen for the discount code later in the episode. Hits 2023 is being held in Scottsdale, Arizona. I hear they have a, at the hotel, they have like this super high-end shopping outside, and I think you can go surfing in the desert, which I'm super looking forward to. Anyway, Scottsdale, Arizona, August 15th to the 18th. So hurry up and register now to save a spot and make sure you get a room. Take the guesswork out of making sure you're feeding your working dog correctly by using Kinetic Dog Food. Hit them up at kineticdogfood.com and look them up on the Instagrams at kineticdogfood. Take all the guesswork out and do it right from the beginning. We love Horizon Structures. Dude, this stuff is so awesome, man. You can get online. You can talk to them. You could build it. You want from mild to wild. They'll come bring it to your place, set it down on your pad, hook up your power, hook up your water, and you can put dogs in it that day. If you don't believe me, check out some guys like uh, Justin Rigney. He's got a great setup there. Ask him. Check him out, horizonstructures.com. All right, everybody, Working Dog Radio. We are back broadcasting the bite. Another great episode from the Hits Canine Conference in Orlando, Florida, 2022. Uh, reminder, next year, Hits will be in Scottsdale, Arizona at a huge five-star resort with two pools and a lazy river and all kinds of things and some high-end shopping. So if you take your spouse with you, you will probably be broke. And I think die. we confirmed that they do have a surf thing. Yeah, I think I looked yeah, it up. So we can it. surf in, yeah. the, in the desert. I'll break my elbow. I'm not going <laughs> to do it. So. Anyways, my name is Eric Stambro. As always with me is my co-host, Ted Summers. Ted, what is going on? Uh, not a lot. We're uh, rocking and rolling on the second day here at HIT. Um, yeah, the resort's good. The weather's good. Hadn't been too bad. The food's good. Like it's like so we ate at that restaurant next door. It's pretty good. Yeah, That's I haven't nice. actually. Well, I had the best ribeye I've had in a long time yeah. here at the hotel. I haven't left the hotel. Yeah, uh, not Uber. I'm not going nowhere. I walked next door to Denny's one time. That was <laughs> my Uber from the airport was like four miles. It was like sixty three dollars. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, I had to take an Uber XL because I had to bring all the podcast stuff. But, yeah. So yeah. who do we have today in this? So one? we had somebody. I tried to nail him down when we were in Chicago, um, and of course I blanked and they it, stuff got away from me but um every time i see this guy's name come up i'm like oh fuck i need to get him we need to get him on the podcast um so uh after a while of trying to nail him down we finally got gene ramirez gene how are you well good afternoon everybody thanks for inviting me it's great to be here yeah so give us a brief like little like short blip on your background uh what you do uh and then we'll kind of take it from there well, I'm uh, an attorney out of Los Angeles, but uh, I've been involved in law enforcement for over 40 years now. Started off as a level one reserve police officer in a Southern California police department, and then I became a deputy DA when I graduated from law school. Did that for a few years, and then uh, when my twins were born, my wife suggested it was time for me to go earn some more money, so I had to leave the DA's office mm -hmm. and join the world of uh, private practice, and the very first case I had when I left the DA's office on a Friday, I started this new firm on a Monday, and it was a canine case with the LA County Sheriff's Department. That's what got me into the world of canine, that one case. That was your first one? 
my the very first case on the desk happened to be a canine case, and that allowed me to run with it. And now, you know, what is it, thirty something years right. later, uh, I handle a lot of canine cases. I deal with a lot of canine units around this country, and some of the best people I've met are canine handlers. That one case pigeonholed you for the rest. <laughs> yeah, some people think that. I actually think it opened it up because from canine. I went into the SWAT side. Oh, yeah. And so I started handling all these SWAT cases. And then I got involved with the federal agencies who had canine units. And then I got a call from JSOC involving one of their uh, units. And so I have a relationship with that particular organization now. And those guys are retiring. I've set up their training companies for for them. And so now they're my clients. So it's been a really good life for me so far i've been happy so you're probably like me where you grew up watching la law and you're like i'm gonna be a lawyer we're gonna make money and then you go work for a da's office and you're like yeah i'm not doing i'm not really making anything i'm not corbin bernson with the with the convertibles and everything like that i do say that guys and girls that come out of law school and then go to work for uh, a da's office or even a public defender's office are in it for some right reasons you know because there's no money you no. know what I mean? It's a salary and you, you get some benefits, maybe some health insurance. But, but it's the experience that yeah. you get. And again, I don't care if you're on the PD side or the DA side. You believe in what you do and you can't criticize people for doing what they believe in. Mm-hmm. I just chose the DA side because as a law enforcement background, that's just where I gravitated towards. And then when I left, of course, my passion was defending law enforcement. And it's done me well. I'm very, you know, I had a team of 10 lawyers now. My overall firm's 180, but 10 of us defend Jeez. law enforcement. So, yeah, we've done well. Yeah, say, yeah, 180, holy smokes. Yeah, a, I complained about my payroll today, and I have 27. <laughs> yeah. yeah, mine too. Like, yeah, right. well, yeah. Let's not talk payroll. <laughs> yeah, every time that check comes through, I'm like, do we hire somebody else? Like, what is that? Yeah. <laughs> it's a good thing my window didn't open my hotel last night. <laughs> look, I look at the bank account, I'm like, oh, my gosh. And as the owners, we're always the last to get paid. So yeah, life right. is exactly. good. Yeah. 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 So... Uh, being that we're at, like at a canine conference, uh, what, you were doing the civil liability side of um, canine. So we just had Ted Daz on, um, who is the uh, who is the Fourth Amendment side for all things drug related, and he'll be the first one to tell you, he's like, I don't know anything about the about the apprehension side, about the civil liability side. And Ted's really good because he's like, I'll stay in my lane. And that's one thing he said when he was in here. He's like, that is definitely not my lane. That stuff is not. So um, kind of give us a little bit of background on the topics you were covering here at the uh, conference, and we'll kind of move on in that direction. God, we covered quite a bit in those two hours, and God, this, the class was like 250 people in there. Yeah, it was, it was pretty well attended, so yeah. thank you all for, who, uh, for those of who showed up. We covered about what's going on right now across the country. There's obviously a push to prosecute officers more than I've ever seen before. And so we talked about that, the Breonna Taylor officers who were just filed upon. We talked about some current uh, videos regarding the use of police service dogs where uh, it's not a good bite. And it didn't look pretty on video. And the uh, the canine handler had a difficult time getting his dog to out, which is just horrific. And uh, that's a case where obviously that agency may have to settle now. Uh, but it also opened up discussion for... Should you call your dog off from a position of safety with a verbal out? Do you need to go up and do a hard out? Those are issues I'm dealing with in my cases right now. Length of time on the bite has always been an issue. And how do we document that and deal with that? And supervision of canine units, we discussed that a lot today. We talked about qualified immunity. And uh, we talked about doing things differently or we're going to lose our canine units because there's a national movement to get rid of bite dogs, which scares me because they obviously save lives. 
yes. save personnel. They cut on time you know, to do a building search, for example. I'm scared that a lot of our uh, states are going to get rid of police service dogs, and that's going to put lives at risk. And so I'm fighting to stop that. But I need the cooperation of our canine units to realize voluntarily, maybe we need to tighten up our deployment policies. So where five years ago we would have deployed on that uh, shoplifting suspect, today we're not. We're only going to deploy it on very serious felonies. Otherwise, we're going to lose our units, and I don't want that to happen. So one of the things we talk about, um, and all these agencies will, will either not have a dog or they'll only get a single-purpose dog, and the response from the administrations, who all are people that, that came on in the late 80s, early 90s, all of them say liability, liability, liability. The problem with that is, they can't come up with any court cases. They can't come up with any huge settlements out in almost every state in the country. Some states are a little more litigious, as you know, from where you're at. But so the liability of all these millions of dollars paid out does not exist. They just made it up. Someone made it up before them and they just say liability. And I always question, them. OK, let's give me some liability. Give me some case law. Give me some cases. Tell me some lawsuits. And they can't. Because there's not that many around the country. Of any that are legitimate by Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like where they were right. I, I get it. If if you screwed up or, you know, some of the cost of doing business in this is biting maybe the wrong person. You're tracking. You go around the corner and there's two dudes there and you bit the wrong one. You know, those things happen. But if your people are doing right and, and you're trained right, but in, which is the problem, and you're supervised right because most of these... I always tell them, you, you know, almost every Supreme Court case that revolves around dogs is all nose related, you know, but it sounds like maybe things are going to, the tide's going to turn a little bit from, I blame Live PD myself just for all that <laughs> shit, but um, what are we seeing um, trend wise? Where, where are guys screwing up? Well, if police departments are really adverse to risk. They should never send their people on patrol to begin with. Yeah, right. I mean, oh, yeah. don't even hire police officers because there's risk involved. We say that a lot. I tell admins, I was like, the difference between risk adverse and risk aware, two very different concepts. Exactly. And can you stop a lawsuit 100%? Of course not. But can you weather and defend against a lawsuit? That's the question you should be asking yourself. Uh, I'd rather an officer deploy a dog than shoot because you can recall the dog. You cannot recall that bullet. And there may be scars at the end of that result of the dog bite, but people can live with that and move on with life. Whereas if they're shot and killed, well, things change. So I'm a big proponent of our dogs. And the trend is, is the issue of control. And I was just talking with a bunch of handlers right now. You know, I've been doing this a long time now. And five years ago, handlers had this verbal control over their dogs. They can do amazing things. Now I see... A lot of handlers using these bite bars or breaker bars, whatever you want to call them. And they say, well, Gene, it's just another tool. I'm with you. If that helps you get the dog off or that much quickly, I'm all for it. I will supplied you. But I have seen body-worn camera video of our handler having a difficult time getting the dog off the bite. Then they insert the breaker bar, and it still takes another 15, 20 seconds for the dog to come off the bite. That does not look good. Yeah, that's so, a guy who's not practicing with that. That's it. Who Someone has no control over a dog. So... That looks bad. So it comes back to training, control of your dog, and taking pride in knowing your dog's so well-trained that if you give it the out command, it's going to out. And when I see these dogs struggling with their handler, they're choking their dogs off, and you hear them yelling at the suspect, stop fighting, stop fighting, but the suspect isn't yeah. fighting. 
Yeah. Jurors are not receptive to that, and that's where our liability starts coming in. I think, uh, and Ted, we talk about it a lot, I think that whole suspect stop fighting my dog yeah. is actually been weaponized against the guys. Yes. Yep. Like, we know what you're doing. You're just you're there's been cases work. argued. It's been argued, but not successfully. But I mean, they're at least trying that that saying that is an escalation of force, which we know is not true. And that um, that and I've actually had attorneys ask me this, like kind of like off the record. They're like, does it make them bite harder? I'm like, if you can find somebody that can train a dog to do that, I want to talk to him because I want to know that trick. Like if I can literally gauge how hard I can tell a dog to bite, and that's what a joke I tell them was like, you know, which dogs bite harder? I'm like, they all bite harder. It only takes 12 psi to break human skin. Like a Chihuahua bites at 30. Like it's as long as I mean, it's like buying a car based on how well it goes in reverse. As long as it bites, it's fine. And so, and that's the thing that you know, like our handlers. I showed a video in our presentation of one of my handlers who'd been out of school for 30 days. And he got a legitimate bite. It was a good bite. And he handled it beautifully. And he communicated with the suspect. He communicated with backup. He didn't say one time, because I don't let my guys say it. I don't ever let them say, stop fighting the dog. I was like, your job is to communicate with backup and communicate with the suspect to get him under control and get the dog off as fast as possible. And we showed one from Marion County that happened last week where... He sends the dog and the guy doesn't break cover to make sure. And then as soon as the guy determines that he's not armed, he takes him off the bite. One of Eric's guys before the guy's even handcuffed and he's clearly reacting to being bit by the dog. He's not resisting. And you see the handler reach through and like, uh, you can tell he's like, he's like checking him for weapons. And then he pops the dog off immediately. The guy's not even handcuffed yet. Rolls him onto his face and says, just sit there and wait. I'll get you fixed up. Why'd you run? And you know, so he didn't leave him on. So the out is a is a mythical thing, right? And everybody stresses over it, and stresses mainly because certification and things. They're not even so worried about it on the street. They're more worried about passing the certification. They stress over it, and we emphasize to guys, and and I think it gets misread sometimes. We emphasize to guys that there are no uh, big court rulings, uh, Supreme Court rulings that say you must have a verbal out. You got to show control. But what I think they confuse that with is not understanding when it's over and you have to out. So I think that's kind of, um, it's Ted puts a case, uh, San Diego, the Hartzell case, the Hartzell yeah, case. Yeah. Yes. Out of, in our PowerPoint to talk about it, like you were good to be there, but you got to get out now. You want to talk about like, I, it sounds like maybe that's where we're headed. Like they were cool with the bite, but what, what was that? When the yeah. Guy, you know, a lot of these cases, you're right. The U S Supreme court has never really addressed a bite dog case. They've addressed narcotics dog cases, but never an actual application of force. And so on the heart cell case, for example, the initial application of the dog was fine. But then, according to the Ninth Circuit, the handler then asked the suspect to bring his dog towards him. And that was the problem there. So again, that's an old standard. Bring my dog to me. The court basically said, as soon as he could see the hands, determine he's not a threat, you need to call your dog off. Verbally, physically, get the dog off. That was the part of the problem. Now, in the actual jury trial, the county of San Diego prevailed on that case. So even though the Ninth Circuit had an opinion that was not... It was critical of of keeping the dog on, the actual jurors came back in favor of county of San Diego. So it just shows that the Ninth Circuit or any appellate court can be wrong, but they're basing it on the facts and the law as they see it. Jurors, when they get... Everything presented to them may see things a lot differently. So the county of San Diego ended up winning that case. But the lesson should be learned is if you can see the hands, get that dog off the bite. There's no reason it should be on that bite. 
And Unless the suspect's a threat and you can articulate yeah, right. that. And yeah. that's, I was going to point out the Escobar Moses Monty case down in Fifth Circuit in Texas with Grand Prairie PD. Uh, it was a domestic violence thing. The suspect's my parents were talking to them saying that you're going to have to kill him to take him into custody. And he complied, dropped a weapon, but it was still within control. They left the dog on a bite until they got him handcuffed. They sued and qualified immunity. All the, the judges turned, they're like, uh, no, <laughs> nope, that was legit all day long. And so, but it was clearly, and I actually know the handler, um, it was clearly articulated after the fact, like during the reporting phase that like due to, and he did it with control in mind, left the dog on a long line and he moved into a position to bite the hand that was the closest to the weapon to reduce the threat, the arrest team came up, and as soon as they got him cuffed, they popped the dog. I mean, quickly. So, all right, one of the largest conferences in the country, uh, Hits Canine Training Conference. It's America's premier canine training seminar, packed to the brim with the world's best instructors, and me and Eric, all covering important topics. There is no better place to learn and no better place to network with other handlers, breeders, trainers, and vendors. Hits 2023 is being held in Scottsdale, Arizona. I hear they have a, at the hotel, they have like this super high-end shopping outside. And I think you can go surfing in the desert, which I'm super looking forward to. Anyway, Scottsdale, Arizona, August 15th to the 18th. So hurry up and register now to save a spot and make sure you get a room. We'll see everybody there. Largest law enforcement training conference in the world. Tons of training classes. Lots of training topics for everybody and everything. Hours included and more network opportunities. Be sure to hit up Jeff Barrett at 863 529 5113. Hits canine, letter K number nine dot net, and at hits underscore canine and all of your socials. One of the best relationships we have in this podcast and in this industry is with the great people down at Kinetic Dog Food. The story of Kinetic uh, Performance Dog Food is pretty simple. They wanted to make a better premium dog food for the dogs that need it the most. Their goal is to give every working and sporting dog a higher energy level, better performance, and better overall health through superior nutrition. So they formulated a line of food based on what they considered to be the optimal profile of a performing of performance dog. They've done tons of research on this. This isn't their first rodeo. These guys know what they're doing. If you're a kennel, they will come to your kennel. They will see the problems that you have. They will check out what works for the dogs that you have. Um, they're amazing people to work with. They drop ship a pallet right to you if you want. Um, I know a lot of guys that use them. There's a bunch of different formulas on there. And uh, 32K might not be for your dogs. Maybe the 26K uh, works. They can adjust it. They'll give you the right ideas what to do in different parts of the year winter's different than summer it's uh it's really a well-run good dog food um company kineticdogfood.com be sure to check them out on social media too man they're they're amazing folks kineticdogfood.com by now you've probably all heard my story at least once i'm usually getting tagged by dogs or hurting myself so this next product is like near and dear to me because i actually use it uh quick turn by vet care it does great for keeping small things from turning into big ones. I use it at the kennel for uh, clients' dogs that have some issues with skin stuff or have food allergies or have environmental allergies. Works great. Keeps hot spots from making giant hot spots. And it keeps my working dogs who inevitably find magnificent ways to hurt themselves from turning it into a giant vet visit. Stops little issues from becoming big ones. So it comes in a spray, comes in an ointment, comes in a dressing. 
it's great for creating a protective barrier and promoting wound healing. You really only have to use it like once a day. So there's no reason not to have it in the vehicle. Since it's temperature stable, you don't got to worry about it getting hot, getting cold or anything like that. So put it in your first aid kit or put it in your cabinet. Vetcare.us on the internet. Quick term by Vetcare on the inter- on Instagram and on Facebook. And then hit them up with the discount code 10WDR for 10% off your first order. So my entire time that I was a handler or a trainer in law enforcement, the cars at my department in the departments that I trained all had American aluminum accessory kennels in the cars, different cars, man, Dodge chargers, all Ford models, some Chevys, uh, SUVs, cars, everything. We loved American aluminum accessories. Um, it's a great product, a great company. They've been serving uh canine law enforcement community for over 20 years, if you check out their uh, website, EZ, that's the letter Z, EZRiderOnline.com, they got testimonials, they got videos on how to, they got a list of everything they have. Uh, just today, we made a post on the Working Dog Radio social media showing a dog that survived a really bad crash because of the American aluminum kennel in the back of the car. Check them out online, guys, EZRiderOnline.com. Just let them do their thing, man. Whatever car you got for your work, your patrol car, get a hold of them, American aluminum accessories, and get the best in the business. Next up comes uh, training courses online from our friends down at Highland Canine Training, Jason and Aaron Ferguson. So in the post-Rona world, uh, training budgets have been getting cut. People aren't going to be able to travel, whether it be instructors or they be canine handlers and supervisors going somewhere else for training. So Highland has announced a lot of online training courses. One of those that sticks out to me is their police supervisor canine course. And it's no secret that one of the problems with canine tends to be some of the supervision issues. This course is specifically designed for administrators and covers utilization as well as liability and FLSA issues. The course can be taken at your convenience and you'll receive a certificate of completion at the end. When you go to tactical police canine training that's letter k number nine training.com and use the discount code wdr30 you'll get 30 percent off of that course here's a question for you i just thought it was when ted was talking about that so say i'm a, I'm a handler and i get a i do a bite and i'm legal legal and everything i did but there was a violation of the policy where does that come back on me not not departmentally but is that stuff uh, is you're looking at litigious stuff. Are you looking at um, violating the policy even though you were within rights by law? Because people are like, oh, well, I, I was good, but they're they're going to come after me because I, you know, there's four things we're allowed to bite for uh, in our policy, and this was the fifth thing. You know, it, it wasn't in the policy. It was legally good, but not in the policy. Do you see guys getting ate up by violating that? When you write policies, I hate the words, you shall do this. Yeah. Uh, Prefer the words like should. Mm-hmm. So you can have a little discretion, which all law enforcement officers need to be able to rely on discretion. And so policies are generally we prefer to deploy in these areas. However, there may be extenuating circumstances where something coupled with violence, danger to the officers or others are all taken into consideration. And as we were discussing off air here, you know, a lot of handlers are relying on Graham versus Connor. Oh, if this guy's an immediate threat to me or others in the area, I get to deploy. If uh, Depending on the severity of the crime for while we're there, is he fleeing, fighting, or hiding, I get to deploy. Things are changing. 
And a lot of agencies are making their policies more strict than Graham versus Connor. And we, as we discussed in our class, the new verbiage coming out of PERF and a lot of states are the terms of proportionality, necessity, and de-escalation. Yeah. And it's applying to all uses of force. And so someone can say, okay, the initial bite was good, but after that, that dog should have come off sooner. Or maybe you should have tried a 40 mic mic before you sent the dog in. So they're going to be questioning whether we're using the less injurious type of force under this new standard. And I've had conversations with people. Um, I went to college with somebody that works at the DOJ and kind of like friendly conversation. And he was like, you know, you guys bite too many people. I'm like, of course you're going to say that. And I said, he was like, well, why don't you use a taser? Why don't you use a... 40 Mike, Mike, why don't you use that? I was like, you're fundamentally talking about a resource question. And I said, so when you have three people on a track, their only use of force options are a long gun, a handgun, an asp or a dog. <laughs> Those are the force options. That's what they have. If, and I said, if it's fun, if you want us to stop biting people, then the DOJ should step, step in and give every department, every means of less lethal that has ever been invented. And I guarantee you, we probably won't bite another person. And I was like, so it's fundamentally a recourse, resource question. And I say, you know, the problem with dogs is that they're really good bang for the buck, right? They're a very highly specialized tool that has multiple uses. And I said, you know, and they're a force multiplier. And I was like, so, you know, it, tasers only serve one purpose, right? 40 mic mics only serve one purpose. Dual purpose explosives or narcotics and patrol dogs serve multiple purposes. And, you know, I said this in our presentation, canine handlers, either in the military or in law enforcement, are disproportionately put in the highest instance of use of force of any specialized unit. And the joke, well, not the joke, but what I tell guys, I'm like, how many of you guys are on SWAT? And they're like, yeah, it's like, how many times you shoot people on SWAT? They're like, like one a year. I was like, however, I've had handlers that have had four bites in a shift. Mm -hmm. And so... We end up, and it's a resource question. And so it's not necessarily a dog problem. It's a resource problem. And they either need to make more resources available or I don't, I don't know the answer to the question. I do know that it's a resource question because you deal with the agencies that you deal with, right? Like the largest law enforcement agencies in the country. They definitely don't really have a money problem. But I also deal with some very small agencies. Right. And I agree with you. There is a manpower issue and there is a physical limitation on the physical resources that they do or do not have available. And I had one of my, it was a large agency, but they didn't have 40 Mike Mike or beanbag shotguns available for patrol personnel. And this is a large agency. Everybody's going, why don't you have this? We don't have the money. And that's a Southern California law enforcement agency. They now have these things, which is great. But at the time they didn't. And you're right. They are limited to what they have on themselves. Is that an affirmative defense? No. Yeah, it doesn't work. No, in fact, a lot of chiefs call me, hey, Gene, I have a part-time SWAT team. It's not a full-time SWAT team, so will I get a discount if we get sued? No. <laughs> yeah, Graham versus Connor yeah. applies to full-time yeah. or <laughs> part-time collateral team. So sorry, there's no discounts under Graham versus Connor. So one of the things that Ted and I talk about a lot, and we're really big on this, and it's in a lot of places are lax on it is. So if you're going to defend a police department, one of the things you're going to look at is uh, their training records. Yes. What do you want to see in those records? Because guys half-ass it so much. I want to see what you're doing daily with your dog. I want to see what you're doing weekly, training with your unit. Do you train monthly with other units? 
So what do your training records look like? First of all, they shouldn't be handwritten. Right. That's, you know. Yeah. You can't read mine if I'm writing them. Exactly. Yeah. And for whatever reason, they tend to get damaged in floods or my dog ate it or mm. there was a fire in our canine unit. It's amazing how many excuses I've received over the our years. Our building burned down. There is that. Our, we lost like... That's true. I don't know, 30 years of records. And there have been floods. So these things do happen, but try explaining that to a judge who doesn't believe us. Or doesn't care. Yes, (laughs) that's part of it too. But let's, it should be electronically done, first of all. Mm -hmm. And then let's say who was there. What was the mission to be accomplished tonight? We're going to do building searches or whatever. Did you change because you decided to work on something else? Well, let's document that. Who were the instructors? Did that dog need remediation? Document it. Hey, my dog had a problem mounting, but you know what? Remediate, and after that, boom, my dog was coming off as soon as I mentioned it. And put that in there. So that way, because dogs have bad days just like we do, Mm -hmm. let's document and be truthful. And so when I get a lawsuit, yes, one of the new so-called causes of action or claims is failure to train. I don't want to have to defend a department on a failure to train issue. If that dog handler team is not well-trained, Let's just settle it because we're going to lose and they're going to use that forever against us. So I want to look at the training records. I want to meet with the dog and the handler team. I want to see them train to see if they're meeting industry standards. And uh, I'll go to the group training. And if there's like 30 handlers there and you're there for eight hours, but you only get maybe two or three reps, is that really good training there? Right. right. And so that's something my experts will take into consideration. And those training records will tell us a lot. I also want to know what your bite ratio is. Um, some agencies break down bite ratio a variety of different ways, whatever your definition is, your apprehension rate, how many directed bites you're doing, uh, when do you use a directed bite, uh, LA County, for example, tracks by race, by crime, uh, what station is calling for help or what outside agency is calling for help because of all the lawsuits they went through, they have a tremendous amount of stats. Not everybody needs to go to that extent, but you do need to track a lot of things. Has there ever been a number put on the bite ratio in court? There was that Kerr versus City, West Palm Beach, Florida yeah. for many years ago. Kind of talked about a 25 to 35% bite ratio is indicative of a misbehaving dog. I disagree with that because I could have a dog with a 10% bite ratio, one with a 50%, and one with a 100%. And it's a dog with a 10% bite ratio that needs to leave. But you only know that by doing an in-depth analysis of each and every application of that dog on its own merit. Every it's single. a numbers game for management, but you got to look at every dog bite on its own to determine is it justifiable or not. I mean, so, and looking at that, and I mean, and with my new guys, I tell them, and the supervisors, I'm like, you need to look at each altercation in a vacuum. And because for right now, that kid that just finished my school, it had a bite 30 days out. He's at a hundred percent bite ratio. Yeah. When, yeah. When does it start? How, exactly. Time frame, and, but you know? that, that was a legit and it was, and it doesn't legit, mean it's a bad handler. No. It's probably a very good handler. And so, um, and, and I'll tell you like, so from the defense side, you say what you want to look for. I have a really good friend that's a, um, that it's a public defender uh, for the feds. And when he has these cases, um, one of the, and this is on the narcotic side, but you can also kind of across apply this to the handling, the, the apprehension side. Um, when they look at records, he's looking for inconsistencies. He's looking for like one, one report that is written differently or one training record that looks different from the other ones, even if it has no bearing. And he was like, what happened here? Like, what's up with this? And if it's three years ago, they start asking questions like, why does this one look different? So the guy that I was talking to outside when you walked up, um, is a very senior handler from my hometown. Uh, who I'm friends with, um, and they do a fantastic job. And when their reports are written and their training records are written, you can't tell who wrote it because they use the same acronyms. 
They use the same formatting. They all, so when you get a report from those guys, it looks the same. Well, and that could be a problem in also, and of itself. Yes, I, Are we I, using canned language? Do we have a pre-planned report and you just check in the boxes? So we got to be careful about that right. as well. Yeah. The, the thing that guys are really goofy about is uh, putting their deficiencies on. Right. Uh, so then it ends up becoming always and never. My dog never uh, gives a uh, solicitation and sits on the wrong car. He has never done this. Or he always sits which we know is, is burned. Yeah. Like in Canada, the guy lost the largest fentanyl yeah. thing in the history of the country. Because the dog didn't want to put his butt on a curb. Sit. Yeah. So I'm from Canton, Ohio. is where the police department I retired from. So Canton v. Harris, we're pretty well versed in, right? Yes. And to, to tell people the seriousness of the failure to train part, I was involved back in 05 in an excited delirium case. Got into a fight with a naked guy. He died. They sued me for $20 million. Um, we went to court. It was me and three other guys. Took, we went to court. Um, the jury ruled that we did not kill him, but ruled the city didn't train us how to deal with that. And $1.8 million they gave him. Um, so they can pick, you know, go all the way, but failure to train and failure to supervise cause tons and tons of the complaints and the, and the lawsuits, tons of them. So also when it comes to, um, court, when you're doing it, how, bad have the guys been in testifying or how good what kind of trend are you seeing are guys getting better at it because some guys go up in court and they are just robotic and i juries hate that they hate it like i'm not saying you gotta giggle and have a personality but you can't be it's like when we interview cops and like relax dude you are not testifying. <laughs> i exited my police vehicle and i headed in a northwesterly direction exactly. no that's not the way we're talking and actually uh, preparation is key. We spend a lot of time preparing our officers and deputies, first of all, for their deposition, which is the first time they usually give testimony on the penalty of perjury about what they did. And we rehearse, we tell departments we're expensive, but we're going to spend a week or two with your officers and deputies getting them ready. And they all now realize how much these lawsuits can go for. They mm -hmm. say, spend whatever time you have to. So we work with them to, to make them look at the jurors and talk and just talk like normal human being. We have a mock courtroom in my office in L.A. And so it's set up like a federal courtroom. We bring we do a lot of mock juries and we'll bring in our, our clients and they get to sit in front of a real jury in their minds because it's a mock. And in a courtroom setting similar to a federal court, and they have the same nerves attached, even though... Mm -hmm. You know, it's just a mock. But then when they go to the actual courtroom, they say, God, Gene, this is just like your, uh, your, your courtroom at your office. It's set up that way. So they have a, a more comfort feeling. And now they've been in there. They've been cross-examined in front of a mock jury. So now they're in front of the real jury. There is a comfort factor there. Not everybody can do it. It's very expensive to do a mock jury. They're minimum $50,000. Some of my clients want it in all our shooting cases. So we have to do it. But... Spending time with our clients and getting them comfortable getting in front of a jury and talking to them like a normal human being. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not it's not a bad thing to say. I was scared. Right. Because right. now yeah. jurors, now jurors yeah. re 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 can relate to that. Oh, you were scared? I didn't shoot them because I was fearful. I shot them because they were doing A, Y, and Z. But it's a scary situation to go in that you know, dark and alleyway and there's people shooting at you. So we got to put them in a situation where the jurors can relate to them. And the funny thing about federal court is, um, not even funny, I guess, but so I testified, I've testified in state court four million times, <laughs> right? I know how to do venue myself from the stand and all that stuff. 
But federal court, the way that the order that things go and the way it works is a thousand percent different. And it's if you're if you're the defendant and the plaintiff and you're being sued before you get to present your case, they really make you look like a piece of shit. And you're just sitting there and you have to take it. And that you know, and your attorneys are doing this and that, but this it was pretty bad. So there was video of my incident and um, I'm cussed a lot in the video, right? And they um, counted, they put a counter on there. How many times I swore. Like the South Park I, episode? I cut, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And how many times I uh, struck him. That was going on. So when I got called up by the plaintiff, and that screws guys up too, that the plaintiff gets to call you up. So First. If, you, if you're the defendant, you're going to testify at least twice. Yes. So I get up there. The jury's right here, right next to me. And there's an older lady. And she goes like this. And she turns her back to me. That's not a good sign. Won't look at me. And it was because of the cussing. So I would answer to the jury. Some some people don't like that. I, I was answering to the jury. I had to humanize it because it looked like I beat this guy to death and cussed at him. Right? And she uh, he said, the guy goes, aren't you ashamed of, embarrassed or ashamed of how much you cussed? And I was able to explain to him, um, yes, it, when you listen to it, it's cringeworthy and it's not professional, but I'm fighting for my life. And my words did not cause this guy's death. It's just words. She actually turned around and then looked at me the rest of the trial. All right, we love the Perkinsons down in uh, North Carolina at Highland Canine Training. They are great people, great trainers. They got a good business model. They're awesome folks. We've been with them for a long time. Uh, They're also super smart. And they understand that a lot of agencies are struggling to have manpower. So they're not sending people away for training. You guys have been there. You know, you put in denied lack of manpower. So they've created an online course section of their website, tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com. You get on there under training the online course. But here's the best thing is they offer a supervisor, canine supervisor course, which we know a lot of uh, police canine supervisors don't get to go to training. They don't know as much as they should right here online uh the course discusses topics such as proper selection of dogs and handlers proper deployment effective allocation and utilization as well as liability and the flsa issues which we know where is where all the legal stuff comes from interdepartmental uh the course can be taken at your convenience and you will receive a certificate of completion at the end uh they're offering an amazing discount, guys. 30% off using the discount code WDR30. It's a no-brainer. If you're a police supervisor and you guys have manpower issues and you can't go, get on training.com under the training tab. Get on that supervisor's course, man. I'm telling you, it's a smart decision. All right, guys, we're going to take a quick break for just a second and talk about Dogtra, one of our favorite sponsors. Uh, Dogtra's been committed for over 20 years to crafting dog training e-collars to perfect and precise fit and finish intuitive design and accountable performance the doctor 1900 s e-collar is one of my favorites and it demonstrates what they strive for an ultimate dog training tool that is durable dependable and designed for the most demanding conditions which i can attest to because i tear stuff up frequently my favorite is the 1900 s black and the 1900 s hands-free which i use all the time check it out at dogtra dot com be sure to use the discount to- code wdr10 for 10 percent off any single item over 200 bucks that includes the 1900 and the 1900 black it's no secret that we love ray allen canine equipment we use their products every single day the mission statement says it all to be a world leader in quality and innovative innovation 
of professional canine equipment for police, military, Schutzen, and ring sport to exceed our customers' expectations and deliver on time every time at a fair price. We full-heartedly believe they've held to that since it is our go-to one-stop shop for everything canine. Not everything canine alone, guys, dogs in general. If you train dogs, if you have a dog, everything you need for dog or canine, check out Ray Allen Canine Manufacturing, rayallencanine.com. Use the discount code WDR10 for 10% off. Super excited to have American Aluminum Accessories on board with us here at the podcast. These guys manufacture a wide variety of products from high quality cam locker toolboxes to an extensive line of products designed to meet the ever-changing needs of the law enforcement community. Around 1992, due to the demand for safe and secure transport for a local law enforcement agency's canine unit, they introduced the very first in-vehicle Easy Rider canine container. So it was basically what we now call just our inserts. They have continuously grown and expanded uh, the products, catering to the needs and the wants of their valued customers and high-profile clientele, and catering specifically to law enforcement. Over the years, as the needs have changed for law enforcement, they've evolved and expanded the products to include inmate transport systems, the canine training aids, which I use quite a bit of, canine inserts. Most of, every one of my guys has one of those things. And you know, you if you're not even have to be in law enforcement, I have several friends that are civilians that work. <laughs> lots of dogs that have the inserts put into their cars too so you got one that fits you can do it uh they also do contraband and animal control systems just to name a few so be sure to hit them up the website is easy rider online so that's the letter e the letter z as in zebra rideronline.com. if you're looking for them on instagram and facebook it's american aluminum accessories feel free to hit them up there too so our first and oldest sponsor that's been with us from the beginning is Arno out, out at ALM, uh, out there in, in Las Vegas area. Arno is a great dude. He makes great stuff for, for police work and sport work, suits, tugs. I'm telling you right now, his tugs are the best in the business. You can't get any better. Multiple colors. Uh, I, I buy boxes of them from him and give them out to everybody. Uh, I've got a bite suit from him. Love it. I've had it for a little over three years, and it's holding up like a champ. Um, Ted's got a suit that he's had forever from ALM. Uh, we wouldn't go anywhere else, man. We love it. Arno is such a good dude. His uh, ALMK9Equipment.com is the website. Get on there. He's got pre-made suits. He can do custom suits based on your measurements. Um, he's got stuff already already made up. If you kind of get a kind of generic large size maybe for everybody, the colors he has, man, is really cool. He can put a lot of stuff on those suits. Uh, check them out, almk9equipment.com, and use the discount code WDRADIO for 10% off. You know, running a kennel is one of those things that I always worry about is cleanliness and safety of dogs. And it's it seems like it's an ever-changing issue being able to house dogs and move things around everything else. So the guys at Horizon Structure make this as easy as possible. Literally, the only thing you have to do is have water and power hookups. And they deliver it and you can put dogs in that day and it's comes built, comes on a trailer. They just drop it off. You plug it in, put dogs in it and you're ready to rock. You keep them clean. You keep them safe. You keep them cool in the summer and warm in the wintertime. And it's completely custom. You can go complete mild to wild. I've seen some that were stainless steel all the way from top to bottom on the inside. And then I've seen some for a, a bulldog breeder that, you know, had smaller gates because those things can't jump. So if you reach out to them, 
Uh, they're sitting there waiting for you to call and help you through the custom design process. They have everything from two dog ones up to, uh, I want to say like 18 or 20. It's a lot of, you can put a lot of dogs, indoor, outdoor runs. So anything you've ever dreamed of, they've got it, have done it or can do it. So they've taken all the guesswork out of building it. Everything is pre-done to your specifications and it's assembled, dropped off, boom, you're ready to rock. These things are amazing. Uh, Rigney has one. Uh, we've had him on the show a couple of times. Go check out his Instagram and you can see he's posted it up there before. Go look Horizon up at Horizon Structures, spelled out uh, on the internet. It's horizonstructures.com. And you're going to look for the link in there that says commercial dog kennels. Or give them a call, 888-447-4337. They'd love to talk to you and get you started on the way. And, and I didn't win them, but I did turn the tide a little bit on that on the way I testified. But I'm fucking shaking and scared to death up there. So real quick, one last thing before we get done. Um, let's go back to the to the case and the, uh, kind of what we're talking about. You're there. You're good on the bite. They're talking about time on bite. There's no time. It's not Robinette. There's no time that's been put to it. There but, is no bright line. Right. But what do you see as the stopgap? The dead. This is the break wall. This is where it's got to stop. It's hard to say because it depends upon the circumstances. A lot of bites I see are five to seven or eight seconds. Yeah. And they're coming off. But I had a case where I went to trial where it was a high-speed pursuit. The suspect crashes. He runs down a triple canopy ravine. Our dog goes after him. It took our handler and search team a couple minutes to get down this mountainside. And they finally arrive upon the dog and the suspect. They're lying next to each other. They're both exhausted. That was three, four minutes before they got down there. We had to explain to the jurors why that happened, how long it took to safely get down this mountainside and get to where the dog and the suspect were. We ended up winning that case. So you just have to be able to articulate why the dog was on the bike for a certain period of time. Yeah. It may be you're the only one there. You're up in an attic space. There's no backup. You have to do the own search. It's probably safer to keep the dog on the bike. Yeah. But again, just articulate that. Yeah, if you're in a small place and you're the only guy on scene, or your your threshold's different. It's like, safer to leave the dog on, in yeah. my opinion. So again, it all depends upon your facts and circumstances. Same thing. It's with, your job to explain it. With Brandon, the video we have a video on our presentation of a handler from somewhere here in Florida that uh, he leaves a dog on uh, for six minutes, and I play the bite in the entirety as he bites the suspect. Within about 30 seconds, they freeze the body cam video, and you can see the suspect pull a firearm out, and the dog is on his right arm. Handler tackles the guy, and he's on top of him, and he's got both hands on the hand with the firearm in it, and he's right-handed, but he said, and, you know, and the dog is continuing to bite, and is biting, 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 and in hindsight, the handler kind of said, you know, I knew that I had control. I knew that if I let go of his hand and he still had a gun, I was going to have to shoot him, and I knew that the dog was going to stay there. And he was like, so I knew at some point I was going to get the firearm away from him. And I joked with him after it. I was like, they got to give you a life-saving medal for that. Yeah, he saved the guy. And Good. they did. They gave him and the well, dog one. The video, <laughs> the guns pointed right at him. He's, they're fighting him. It's right at him. His hand on it. Wow. And the guy's hand behind. It's, um, he, he definitely w could have. He probably didn't feel like he could get to it or whatever. But, yeah, I don't have a problem. And that guy was... Definitely not complying. No. Can't let go. Put the gun he down. He was biting no. the handler, biting the dog. No, bit the dog in the ear. That's that 1%. Yeah. That's going to justify whatever you do. But that handler obviously did an amazing job. And he, and he did. And he's, and, and, and I mean, I've, I've shown that video to people, to a couple of um, plaintiff's attorneys that are like, there is a bright line. It is this long. And they see this video. And how do you explain this? Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, 
I guess it depends. I'm like, well, we can't really start making bright lines like we did in U.S. versus Campbell or like we did in Rodriguez on this. I'm like, well, it's still a Fourth Amendment case. I'm like, yeah, but it's not. <laughs> I mean, it is, but we're not. It's way different circumstances, way different sets of the difference between search and difference between seizure. And, you know, we don't, it's it's not the same. And I understand what the, what the, what the, the tactic is that they're trying to do, but they're like, well, it depends. That was clearly justified. I was like, because had he let go of that guy's hand, the outcome was he was getting shot. Yeah, there can be no bright lines in our world. Right, yeah, because yeah, everything, every, you know, existential circumstances. There's always right. an exception. Yeah. There's always a justification. It's incumbent upon us, though, to document that. So one, one, I do have one last question just popped in my head because I was thinking about from my old unit. We, When I left the police department, when I retired, for the probably five years prior to that, five or six, we had paid the, one of the companies that do the policies for like a huge company, one that's in California. Yes. And... I personally thought that their policy was too many words. Would do you like to see too much overkill or is too many words leave too many interpretations open? Yeah, it depends. And a lot of times, even those companies that come up with these policies, it's incumbent upon the individual agency to go through it and customize it for their own use. For example, some policies say you can use a dog depending upon the seriousness of the crime. Well, all of us have a different definition of what's serious. Yeah. That policy should be rewritten so every handler and supervisor knows exactly the seriousness for which a dog can be used. So it's not so much the words, it's what is allowed or disallowed. And there should be no ambiguous language so that you and I debate whether or not a serious crime yeah. has taken place. We should all know, yes, that is a serious crime. We're going to deploy or nope, we're not going to deploy on that for whatever reason. Mm. There should be no ambiguity on that. And that's why a policy should be written. Yeah, and it's funny you say that because the policy said serious offense. Yep. There's no, there was no list of definition of serious offense. And I had to supervise because I had to defend a guy uh, in, in the department with it. He goes, yeah, but the courts have said what is a serious offense. I go, no, they haven't. We have to go by this. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It says serious offense. And then the next paragraph is Graham versus Connor. Uh, you know, the, the basically you got to take this other things into a to account the advice Which I is give, dude, the out that's the way yes. out the advice I give guys is get rid of the word serious and replace it with nature and when I tell them I say look nature no, of the fence yeah, yeah nature and I tell them I was like look nobody's going to argue with you that Bernie Madoff that was a serious crime like that dude stole billions of dollars <laughs> are we going to deploy on Bernie as he <laughs> right, runs away exactly so I mean it's a serious crime right I mean that dude stole so much money. he's in prison for so long his parole officer hadn't even been born yet mm-hmm. and so but when and he was such a flight risk that when they went and arrested him they were in suits and they put him in the back of a suburban unhandcuffed like that's how dangerous Bernie Madoff yeah, was right. But, and I tell people, I'm like, you know, look at the nature of the crime. And typically it's crimes against people or against stuff. Like, like if they're against people in terms of like robbery or home invasion or things like that. that That's involve, be violence involved. And yeah, yeah, violence against people. I was like, that is a seriously, that is meets the term. And the nature of that crime is violent. And because I don't, and that's the thing, like nobody would argue. And this is another one. Like the nature of the crime, uh, a lot of our guys are part of a task force locally that deal with um, child pornography stuff. And just about every time one of those guys gets arrested, it's a violent altercation. And while that crime, the mere possession of child pornography is not in its sense a violent crime against a person. Now, maybe the production might have been, but the mere possession of it is not a violent crime in the possession typically those guys require a lot of violence to be detained. 
And we have bitten a couple of people for trying to get out of child pornography yeah. arrests. So, which, and I'm, and they were, and the other thing those dudes always have is guns. They almost always have firearms. Well, we have ch- tried to deal with that seriousness definition. So I'll give a free advice to, uh, to your listeners. If they go to the city of uh, West Covina in California, it's W-E-S-T Covina, C-O-V-I-N-A, the police department, on its website, it has all their policies. A couple of us rewrote their canine policy, and we define serious offenses. So if anybody wants to get an idea of what a policy should look like, we think, go to the city of West Covina Police Department, download their canine policy, and uh, see whether they want to have use any of the language we put in there. So I offer that to your listeners for free. And one, yeah. one little shot I'll take at brass before we leave is uh, <laughs> the reason why they don't go into those computer programs and change the language is because they're lazy. We saw it all. I'm like... Why is this still here? We this isn't even a thing here. The helicopter or whatever. We don't have it. Yeah, I feel like getting to it. <laughs> well, you know what I mean? <laughs> that will come back and bite yeah. you uh, unintended. Thousand percent, but it won't bite him. Right. That's the problem. So real quick, if uh so say somebody needed you or even hey, can you come in and do a threat assessment of our policy and our canine? How do they get a hold of you? Uh you can reach me uh at my email, which is uh, phonetically Edward Paul Robert at Manning, M as in uh, Mary, A N N as in Nancy Nancy, I N G L L P dot com. So EPR at Manning com is my uh, email. And uh, reach out. I'll do whatever I can to help. And we do do a lot of audits of canine and SWAT teams and try to give uh, industry standards uh, to everybody. Great man, yeah. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, it's been great. It's yeah. been I've been Ted's wanting to do this. Satisfied now. I've been wanting to do this one for Is a while. Is it time for uh, wine now? Is yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think yeah. it's time for a, a glass of something. Yeah, yeah. I got Excellent. You. All right, thanks, guys. Thank you. You got your reasons. I got my wants. Still got that feeling, but I'm too old to die young. Working Dog Radio was graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother, D-E-G-E, dot blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Dog Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt.